to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. It's been a while, but here I am, back in Studio uh, 1A, Mark 2. It's kind of like Star Trek, right? It just keeps being called The Enterprise, even though <laughs> even though it's a different show and uh, uh, a different... Uh... Well, you know, I've been watching Star Trek, but uh, <laughs> which is just... Um, help, help me out. Isn't it just um, like the the um twilight zone in space because they're never like they're always on some like planet uh medieval planet or as a matter of fact they would repeat the same shows the same theme over and over again i've we've been watching it with our son we've introduced him to star trek of late and it's <laughs> it's it's interesting so much like star trek mormonism keeps repeating the same thing and what brought me out of retirement was a book that was making some sort of splash out on the um, blogosphere, the blogger knackle, um, uh, which I went to Desert Book and picked up a copy before they happened to pull it, because it seems like the church has been responding to some people lately with their little protests. We found it today very easily, so... Um, it was still it was still there. Good. It was on the shelves. Well, I mean, there, there is the... Um, it is very rare for a Mormon book to ever make it to um, second printing. That 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 is exceptional. So likely it'll it'll be there for for first printing. And and I actually I do not believe this book is that controversial. At least it's not controversial for the reasons that those who um, have said it is is. But um, that's my take. Well, sitting across from me is the um, is the lovely and talented Jen. Jen, welcome. Hi. You, you nice said to be here, John. You, you've been in the studio and you've been in my home many many times. Yes, I have. But you said this is the first time you've ponied up to the mic. I, yeah, I, I guess in this sort of forum. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I prefer argue with you off the mic. But. Jen, Jen has argued with me vehemently many times, which makes her very popular <laughs> with me. Um, so, and, and her opinions are well reasoned, well thought out, and wrong. At least in, in the cases when you disagree with I me. I disagree. <laughs> um, there, we also have another uh, lovely studio audience here who are all um, microphone shy, but we'll see if we can get them to say um, something tonight. But we're going to do a little... We're, we're not going to read the book because um, I'm not going to cross the fair use line, but we are going to um, look at the book. I'll give you the page number so you can read along with, you, with your book at home if you would like. Um this is the Not Even Once Club, obviously published in 2013 this summer, written by Wendy Watson Nielsen, who is the second wife of um, President Elder Nielsen. Um, what do they call him? He's in the Quorum of the Twelve. You, you can't ask me the Mormon questions from the get-go. <laughs> I think Elder Nelson. El- Elder Nelson. Elder, thank Elder Nelson. Thank you. Thank you. And it's illustrated by Brandon Dormer, who's obviously LDS, but is a secular illustrator he doesn't just um, focus in on mormon books um and so they tag teamed this this particular book here his drawings are very pretty um very colorful uh, he's, he's he's obviously a talented artist i can't remember from the jacket what, what else he's uh, published uh, do you remember jen no, I do not. Well, there, well, a bunch of titles that are carried in Deseret Book. I know that and <laughs> recognize some of them. Um, yeah. For for neither of them, this is their first walk out the um, out in the park. They're both they're both um, experienced and published authors. I think Sister Nielsen is a PhD, um, so so she's been around the block a few times. Um, Isn't it family psychology and? Is that and gerontology something like that? Something like that. <laughs> um, um, not child development. 
Not child development. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't. I don't believe she. She. She married. Um, she was a. Uh, uh, from what I understand, she was a single woman, and she married um, Elder Nielsen after his first wife passed away. So they married um, late in life, um, and she has ha- had opportunity to speak publicly. She hasn't been uh, invisible. She's spoken at I think BYU and some other places. So so she's been kicking around the um, the uh, Mormon scene for a while. Um, yeah, I, I've said this before. I don't know if I ever said it on the podcast, but if you really want to understand a religion, um, don't pay any attention to what their missionaries say. Don't don't pay attention to what their apologists say. What you really want to look at is is look at what they teach their children, because that will distill the doctrine down to its core, and it will prepare those people for becoming adults and moving on and understanding it. Um, um, when when they have to go in and take the mantle. So w- the best place, if you want to understand Catholicism, is to get a ca- Catholic catechism and look at the materials that are written for children or aimed at children, because that will that will simplify the concepts down and get rid of a lot of the jargon and gobbledygook that apologists or missionaries or other people like that tend to engage in. So when a book like this comes out, it it it, it really excites me. As a matter of fact, one of my one of my favorite books that I have here in the in the collection is a copy of the eighteen seventy. 77 catechism mormonism used to actually have one and it, it really illustrate you want to understand mormon doctrine from the late 19th century that's that's a great place to go you um another place um follows the same sort of paradigm as a hymn book so if you can find the old red sing with me book um uh from the 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 children's the children's old sunday school hymnal um, and you go through those. Uh, this is probably a, a future project if I ever yeah. motivated to. If you go through those, you can really find the way that the doctrines are, are very carefully spelled out and what's important and what's not important. They've changed their tune in the hymn book a little bit. They have a, a little bit, um, but but the hymns tend to be more static than a lot of the other the other books. Like if if you take a look at the hymnal, you see less changes, I would say, than the book like um, Gospel Principles, mm-hmm. where you're you're seeing changes in that every twenty years. Um, so so and and since they're speaking to an inside audience I think probably if Desert Book is even paying attention at all they were caught off guard they were surprised by the fact that the, this book caused any sort of splash because I can't remember the last time there's been any controversy at all about a children's book other than ones they pulled out if you find the old the old recreational song book um, from the twenties, uh, there's some controversial songs in there, <laughs> mostly dealing with race relations. But, um, but I mean, that's, that's cause it was way out of the time that the, the criticism came. So, so, so this one is, is absolutely current. Is that enough of a background? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Jen has a copy and I have a copy. Um, um, we should, there's a, on the front page, it says to and from, we should put to and from each other and exchange books. That would be really cute, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it? Yeah. And if uh, anyone else there wants to borrow the book, you know, they can yeah. Yeah, yeah. message us and yeah. borrow it so they yeah. don't have to spend the $20 that we donated to these. Or, or what I told Jen is just folks. go to Desert Book and read it. It's only 30 pages long and put it back on the shelf. But you you actually... I needed it as a memento. <laughs> it, it's so, I'm so impressed you that you exactly. wanted to keep it for your collection. Yes, well, and I, had, I wanted to see what my son's reaction was this morning, so that was interesting. Okay, I, th- I think this book works on two levels, um, and I'm, I'm, we're going to take the Mormon angle first, and then we're going to come at it from, from an, another direction here. Um, so, um, Brandon, if you are listening, Brandon the Illustrator, brace yourself. Okay. Um, 
So, so I get the sense from reading this book, first of all, like most um, children's book, that somebody wrote the story and then the illustrator came by later and wrote it. The, the, the pictures, I, I, I really do not think um, Wendy would have done these pictures. But I, I assume she obviously approved them or Desert Book approved them. And, and any author would tell you that it's, a, it's, a, it's like making a cake by committee. Like nobody really likes the out- outcome in the end. Um, I, I suppose I know nothing about making cakes. I don't, I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, but uh, um, I, I, every author I've ever talked to, they, they don't like Experimental something. Experimental cake baking it doesn't they, happen very often. No, no. They don't like the uh, the cover art or, 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 or whatever because a lot of those decisions are made by editorial staff. So the story of the Not Even Once Club has a little boy named Tyler, very Utah name, um, has a little boy who has moved into the neighborhood. And um, he's apparently gone to primary at least once because he was given this secret password and told that there's a clubhouse, an exclusive clubhouse in the neighborhood. And I'm looking here to see how exclusive the neighborhood is. There's, there's, yeah, it looks, it looks solidly middle class. They are in the nice part of the burbs. It somewhere. reminds me of like Tom and Jerry, like everything's green and blue, and the houses are a little pink and 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 that sort of stuff. Um, that's not a very timely reference. Do kids watch Tom, Tom and Jerry anymore? No. Oh, okay. Um, uh, it, it was, it was old when I was, but it, when I was a kid, the, 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 the cartoons were either commercials for like transformers or they were these recycled with all the racist parts edited out. You, you, you do, you, you go get the DVD now and you watch Bugs Bunny and you're like mortified uh, because they, they, they were edited and, uh, anyway. So Tyler finds this 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 tree house and he he comes up to the bottom and he 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 hollers up um and um one of the kids pops his head out and says you know stand back and we'll throw down the ladder and um he gets the ladder and he he climbs up it's sure a lot of um they've we're we're a quarter of the way into the book and nothing has happened yet but um it's just act 1 so right yeah um so he climbs up there and he gets up to the little um um, porch. It's, it's a pretty fancy treehouse, and um, there's no doorknob on the door. And um, he knows that his primary teacher, who they identify merely as Sister Croft, had told him about it. And he's there, and he, he says he says he's excited to meet new friends. So he wants he wants to have um, new friends. Um, so so he knocks on the door and another child asks him for the password and the, he was given the password beforehand and the password is not even once <laughs> i'm gonna try not to giggle every time we say that <laughs> not even once the door swings open and there are um four bright-eyed bushy-tailed um children representing nearly every nationality and and configuration and some ambiguously so i mean you can the, the one is he could be um you know south american or he could be arabic or or, or um, we, but we we want we want to cover the we want to cover our bases and so they say yay and come on in so um tyler walks in and he sees in this room that there are bottles and bottles and bottles of candy. Um, and I, I assume it's for, they all look like gum balls, or I assume it's for artistic... Um, Jelly beans. The, yeah, Jelly yeah, beans. yeah. Oh. The, but there's, there's lots of them. I, I, these are like, you know the size 
um, plastic containers that like your whey protein comes in. It's like you know? a gallon size. <laughs> yeah. These yeah. are huge. These are bigger than number 10 cans. Let's talk yeah. in terms of Mormonism. These yeah. are bigger than number 10 cans. Um, <laughs> and there are, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Another one on table 13. Over on the left side, there's another, oh, on 20. Um, Oh, and oh, behind them, there's even there's even more stuff. Like I mean, there's 40 a there's, or fifty. There's a hell of a lot of candy in this little in this little um treehouse. Um, and and they identify that all the candy was given to them by Sister Croft. <laughs> and oh, uh, um, her husband's a dentist. <laughs> I like the I like the main character. Uh, wow, you guys really know how to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's coming. That's coming. We're going to define what that means. So I'm on page. um, Hell's bells. There's no pages. How how are you expecting us to review a book with no page numbers? (laughs) Okay. Well, he wants a lemon drop. He's going to get one. Tyler looks at a jar of lemon drops and says, I'm just glad I'm a member of this club. (laughs) Oh, you're not a member yet, said Kyle. That's right, said Natalie. You need to pass the test and then always keep the club rules. Tyler looked at his friends and realized they were serious. <laughs> um, uh, let's, uh, so he says, so what do I need to do? And they say, I'm glad you asked. It really honestly says, I'm glad you asked there. And they said, take a seat. Uh, these guys, these guys were about nine, wouldn't you say, in the, in, in, in the, the artwork. And um, so they have props. Um, it turns out, um, so they're, they're going to do, they're going to do a little role playing, um, which is what normal nine year olds do when they get together in, um, <laughs> in tree houses. So, so, um, they first of all ask him if he'd like something to drink and, um, they hand him these little menus that have been Crayola'd up and there's four items on the menu, coffee, tea, alcohol, and lemonade. Um, because every nine year old, um, <laughs> just, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, tip, I mean, uh, j- detail sell stories, right? You put like whiskey or, or, you know, put something better than alcohol. It could be grain alcohol. They might be trying to poison him. Who knows? But so he's been to primary and he knew that he wasn't supposed to drink any of those. He knew that lemonade was the right choice. And so, so he, he picks that one. Yeah. He, he nails it. And they ask him, will you drink a cup of hot coffee? And here comes the hook. Not even once. Um, how about you, sir? Will you taste our delicious tea? I, I've never heard the tea described as delicious. Um, tempting. It's tempting. Um, maybe soothing. Um, uh, but not even once. Will you try our alcohol drinks? Not even once, he replies. Suddenly, they all pat him on the back and cheer, it says. Congratulations, you passed the test. And so they pull out a scroll, of course, because that's how we all keep paper these days, <laughs> rolled up in parchment. Um, and they, they unroll it. Also provided and, by Sister Craft. <laughs> yes, yes. And there is a copy, I think, in this book that you can cut out and paste on your own. No, no, no. You can go to a URL. We'll give out the URL. Um, it is um, – where is it? If you go to deseretbook.com slash PDF slash not underscore even underscore once 
underscore discussion underscore questions dot PDF, each with a capital. I don't, um, PDF documents are, um, case sensitive. So make sure to put a capital letter, not even once discussion questions dot PDF underscore between each of them. You can get your own copy of that. Okay. So the not even once club and the not even once club, um, poster says from this moment on, I will never break the word of wisdom, lie, cheat, steal, do drugs, bully, dress immodestly, or break the law of chastity. I will never intentionally look at anything pornographic on TV, the internet, a cell phone, billboards, magazines, or movies. <laughs> the, these, kids, these kids are nine, right? Um, they're looking nine, but but there's they, they refer in the questions and answers in the back to three to seven-year-olds, so mm. you know, I think they assume the audience to be broader than the... Um, Nine, ten. Yeah, yeah. So the to say chastity is not enough. Um, that we 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 need to get into that one in 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 um detail. I, I guess there's a lot of people looking for exceptions, saying, "Well, I know the bishop told me no pornography, and I know he said no billboards, <laughs> and I know he said not the internet, <laughs> but but that, that son of a bitch phone? did not mention my phone, <laughs> and I am free on that one. So um, so not even once he promises. Um. What if so, then it says then Natalie steps forward? I have one final question. What if someone asks you to do something that is against our club rules, and after you say no, they make fun of you and say, "Tyler, what's the big deal? No one will know. It won't hurt you. Come on." Tyler boldly smiles and says, "Not even once." And they all come into a cheer. And then the final scene um, is Tyler riding away on his bicycle, and he finds a pack of smokes on the side of the um, of the road, and he throws it into the garbage can and says to himself, "Not even once." The motto for his life. Not even once. All right, let, let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, Mormon theology a little bit. Um, <clears throat> where where do we begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, there has been some criticism from the liberal front about this book, and and that um, well, their, their main criticism is the book does not take into account the atonement or the concept of repentance or anything like that. Um, I, I think that's a valid point, but I would counter that this represents Mormonism to a T in its attitudes about these sort of things, about teetotaling, and about how important it is to be completely abstinent from these things. And if you look at how it treats these things, it treats them as if they are very dangerous. Now, the most dangerous thing about a cup of coffee is that it's hot and it stains your teeth and maybe your shirt if you spill it. Um but it is put on par with with things, um, and not necessarily in this book, but 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 the, these things that are that are simple sort of laws of consumption, which are common in religions, right? You know, mm -hmm. if you're a Buddhist, you can't eat a tiger. So it's not it's not uncommon to have rules of what you can and can't eat. But what's fascinating is those are elevated to such a standard of behavior, and a standard of behavior, the one violation of, will leave you impure and 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 um, tainted and soiled, so those items um, become representative in and of themselves of the dangerous world. For for um, really believing Mormons and people who haven't converted, so they've had no interaction, um, which was my experience and the experience of a lot of people in the church that they would have absolutely no interaction. I've told this story before that when I drank my first cup of coffee, I took a sip and then I sat and I waited to see what would happen. 
And then I took another sip and I waited. <laughs> because, they, you know, they would talk about this buzz or something. I, I was waiting for some, like, transformative experience. I was waiting to lose control was what I was, re- I was really doing. This is when I was 32, 32 years old, right? Oh, my God. Um, so so it's, it's this teaching of, of the other and the other represented in this dietary restriction um, which only approaches sort of the dietary restrictions of say, um, you know, like Muslims and, and Orthodox mm-hmm. Jews, where it's, you know, very, very, um, um, unclean to, to, to partake of these things. Um, but, but, but the emphasis, the thing that's distinctly Mormon is that idea that, that we won't do this at all, not even once, that it'll be completely, um, um, abstained from. And where our liberal friends are sort of missing the point is that's what, is important in Mormonism because you're not going to believe that alcohol and coffee and pornography is as dangerous as you're taught to if you consume it because you'll then realize, well, this isn't that big of a deal. This isn't, this isn't transformative. This, you know, taking a sip of, of, um, yummy, yummy scotch does not you know, make you a lush. But I, I think for some Mormons it is, though. Like you say, you sat and waited. I, I think particularly if you've been trained in your youth to think that something transformative is going to happen, you, you, the shame and guilt that you feel if you do actually try it, whether you're young or older, can be transformative. Yeah, that's I mean, the that's the thing is is it's that button's always pushed that you never know if you're going to be the one who's going to be addicted with one one taste or one drink or one puff. And then that's it for you. See, you, that, that, that's absolutely right. But you're still two steps of reason, reasonability beyond, um, what, what, how a Mormon would think. Because, because, um, an unexposed Mormon, and not all Mormons are unenlightened, makes no distinction between consumption and addiction. So, so for, for them, you know, if they see pictures on Facebook of you with a glass cup of wine in your hand, a cup, a goblet. Yeah, a goblet. <laughs> Oh. You're an alcoholic. <laughs> You're an alcoholic. There's, okay. there's, there's, there's no distinction that, right. that, that consumption is addiction. Right. And, and if, if you, if you want, I can show you, you know, that there are, there are, for example, masturbatory reform programs in the state of Utah. And if you read their pamphlets, their pamphlets, they make no distinction whatsoever between s- simple consumption and, 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 um, and simple consumption and use versus addiction to pornography. It's all, it's all the same thing. And masturbation for their, in their mind is presence of, um, addiction. So, but, but let's talk about the symbology in this book a little bit. Um, so, so here, um, the boy comes in and there's this tree house, you know, which, which I'm surprised they didn't ever get the great and spacious building floating, <laughs> floating stuff, you know, that nobody warned him off that. But, but you hear these people who are up above him. Who have this cloistered sort of club that 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 um, we're going to block people out of, and he has to go through an act of submission to to get in. He has to you know pledge loyalty to this this sort of thing, and then then pledge this abstinence. That the treehouse itself and this because he even talks in the book. We sort of skipped over all the wording. He even talks that he's looking for friends. I mean, she points that out in the beginning of the book that his motivation is he wants other kids to play oh, absolutely. with. Absolutely, the, the motivation come... of the child is. It's is, not lemon drops, yeah. right? That's a bait and switch on the kid that comes later. Um, he's just looking for other kids to play with, and they say, "You want some of these yummy lemon drops? Well, we have this thing for you," which is sort of the standard hook of 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 religions in general. They tend to, especially those who proselyte, they tend to sort of be everyone welcome. We're family oriented, and then once they get in, they say, "We got something special for you. 
you know, you, you came to Mormons be, because um, our kids are well um, scrubbed and we have it together and we have the softball leagues and the beautiful buildings. But once you get in, say, we have this thing called the endowment and we conceal you forever. And, and it's that, you know, in the old Mormon parlance, they used to call it, um, um, milk before meat, right? That mm-hmm. there were these great, wonderful doctrines that, that you would get. There's these lemon drops here, but you're going to have to show your subservience to whatever it is we're going to, we're going to push on. Um, so, so I think that exclusiveness and, 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 and what's, and what's, what's fundamentally ironic to those of us who've been out of the church for a while, yeah, that sales of like monster, like sports drinks and, um, caffeinated beverages that aren't hot and a uh, Mountain Dew, these things are, they sell very well in the state of Utah, right? Um, and candy, um, I, I would, I would argue is not even in, you know, like tea is a healthy drink to drink. Candy is not a healthy thing to eat at all. And, and, and science is not like deliberating on this subject. This, is, this isn't even in the deliberate, like wacko deliberation of like global climate change, right? This is just like a well-established fact. Like nobody, nobody disagrees with this. But what, what's, what's ironic in the book is they're substituting this one sort of, um, food, like privilege, something that should be avoided, candy. And and they're 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 having this absolute orgy of candy in there, like it's just it's just it's just surrounding everywhere, as if those things in moderation, because because and I use the word moderation because they're absolutely putting a point of non-moderation on this. Nine-year-olds with a with a treehouse full of candy are going to eat it until it's gone. It's going to take about seventy-eight hours, right? <laughs> um, and and Sister Croft would have to know that that the kids aren't going to be like. Now, now, Billy, only take one. Um, <laughs> You'll spoil your supper. Um, so, so it's this, it's this promise of something else, something that is, well, if you, if you give this up now, then we're going to give you something later. Well, that's what strikes me as quite odd. And, and, um, again, referring to the, the questions and answers that, that the, the last page of the book where they, there's discussion points for parents to talk with their children, you know, to, to better understand the message or, but, but the promise of the book is this bribe of sweets and popcorn and chips and friends, you know, th- things that kids want. They they completely avoid the topic that you're going to learn in Sunday school, that the reason why you're supposed to follow this word of wisdom is so that you can have eternal life and live with Heavenly Father again. They, they avoid, really, the religious message altogether in the story. Which is it's, brilliant. It, when, Wendy spelled it out perfectly. You want to be in this club, you do so by not doing these things, marking yourself as part of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not doing what everybody else is doing, therefore I'm in the club. Club membership is fully dependent on you living these arbitrary rules, right? Right. Um, and, and be, be, because, you know, like I said, tea's not, tea's better for you than candy, so, so it's, it's arbitrary. Then you could argue that it's, it's celestially inspired, but even apologists these days aren't saying that, it's some great heavenly um, uh, health code. They're saying you're doing it to prove your obedience to God. Um, it's exactly. Just, it's just. Yeah. It's just. It's just. It's a symbol. They would. They would say. Um, so. So I, I think it really does kind of show up the the show the the Mormon attitude. All that being said, it's a fine book. That's. I don't have any problem with any of that. My problems are elsewhere. Are we ready you to move to chapter two? <laughs> you, you don't have any problems. No, with no, it. it's that's 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 Mormon <laughs> theology, right? Um, and 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 like I've kind of hinted at, our arbitrary <laughs> restrictions of food and diet and clothing, and this is par for the course. This is what religions do, right? Well, 
You don't have a problem with the fact that uh, this is chapter one, like you said. I mean, that's what we've, what we've got here. So he, he joins the club. Hooray. Well, what happens the next day? What happens when one of them does one of these things? You know, They're out of the club. I think they're, yeah, they're going to pitch right. him off the porch at <laughs> yeah. the treehouse. Yeah. yeah, I want to no see that. No more lemon drops for you. Yeah, I, I, I want to see that. Yeah, I, I think that's, a, that's there's no yeah, question so, on that. So that's what, that's what happens, though. I mean, you know the, the, the study that was in the, the newspaper a while ago, about 58%. Of LDS women have premarital sex. Okay, so that's that's these people. They're going to be part of the fifty-eight percent. So are we throwing, you know, three of these guys off the porch? What about that? I well, mean, I mean, that fit? well, I mean, they have they have pornography. Um, you know, ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. I mean, it's it's. I don't know. I don't know how you would avoid it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just the cl- the membership in the club is just seems untenable. Somebody is going to get kicked out, and how are they going to handle that? Well, I mean, I don't I don't mean to get all John Larson preachy on you, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, the 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 reason religions do that is that they're going to set a standard that's not. The, re- religions want to set rules that can't be kept because they want you to be broken. They want you to be um, supplicant. They want it's it's the double bind. They want you to have to come to them and say, "I'm sorry, I broke the rules." Because because the religion is promising you all this stuff, this in in my mind imaginary stuff. Um, they're promising these these marriages that have no problems. They're promising you eternal life, eternal sex, um, just every, everything. Uh, oodles and oodles of candy, right? They're, they're, those jars really are empty in the real world. But what they're going to do is they're going to set a set a standard that you cannot meet, so they never have to pay. It's, 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 it's like, it's like God. If, if you pray, if you, if you have cancer and stage one cancer and you pray and God heals you, well, God healed you. Yay, God. If you pray and God doesn't heal you, well, that's God's will. I mean, this is a great deal for God. Like, he can't, you know, like, he can't lose. He can't, he can't, he can't lose. And we are always falling short, which is why the liberal Mormons are, are, up in arms about this book where they want to point out the atonement, but, but they're, they're missing the mechanism that the one, the one of the mechanisms the church uses to keep perfectly healthy people mentally and who would be happy otherwise thinking that they're not. This is why people get up in church on fast meeting and say, if it wasn't for the church, I'd be out banging hookers and doing blow off of, they'd say, you know, like, like they, they, because, because they, they, they're told that and they, they believe that, um, even though they have no desire for those things, they think they, they will. They, they're, they think they'll become addicts. They'll think they have all this, this sort of bad stuff in them. Um, and, and that, that's why it's useful. So, so it's, it's useful to keep people in there. It's useful to keep people secret, private. Because the last thing the church wants to do is, is everybody get up and say, hey, I had premarital sex. And the next person, well, I, I did too. Oh, and me. And I did too. And I did too. And they're like, oh, well, this is this is normal. You know, like a 16-year-old girl will be like, oh, you mean I'm not? You mean like the bishop's wife and the stake president's wife and all these other people? Well, then I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a normal person. I'm a good person. Then do I really need all this stuff? Do I need to be there chanting the values every 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 month? Um, that's that's the thing that I think, in my opinion, that religions, especially fundamentalist religions, really like to keep people thinking that they are broken, and and that they have to choose. I, I guess on top of that, that they have to to choose that they won't do these somewhat relative things, I suppose, to be moral. Which is the issue I have with the book is that the, these folks are 
consistently, and I mean, they're teaching children that they don't have any sort of inherent morality, that you have to choose and make a commitment not to be bad. You're, you're, you're bad from the get-go. Right. And it's, it's... Well, if you, if you found secular books that teach values, they would teach that you do things that make you feel good, that help other people, you do things to be kind. Yeah, and this is all just like pro forma stuff, you know. Check, checklist sort of things. Not that this represents all of Mormon theology. You know, I'm not saying that, but, but this is a very good representation, both metaphorically and, 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 mm-hmm. and straightforward of, of, of the Mormon psychology of this sort of teetotaling and this sort of rule keeping. I think, I think it's a brilliant book that way. It, it really shows the psychology. Well, I mean, you're shaking your head, but yeah, you're shaking no. your head at, at the Mormon theology, not the yeah, book. Yeah. I mean, what, no, what, right. this, this is a book review. We're not, we're not, <laughs> it's not a theological review. This is a good review That's of right. Mormonism, right? <laughs> All right. So let's talk about why the book is bullshit. So uh, th- there, there are things out there um, that we might call w- – w- let's talk about like white privilege and male privilege. Um, the, 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 there is racism all around us all the time. And it's, it's baked into our culture and it's baked into the way things are distributed. Opportunities, um, privileges, all sorts of things. And, um, these things are oftentimes very apparent when we look back in time. When we look at the fifties, when you look at ads in magazines, especially men's magazines, they're atrocious. They, 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 they'll, they'll make you gasp, um, with the assumptions about what it means to be a woman, the assumptions about what it means to be a man, you know, stuff, um, art and, um, and performance from the twenties about race relations and, and stereotypes and things that would be said today are very, um, apparently biased towards a certain culture, a certain disposition, a certain race, a certain gender. And, but those things are still around us and we absorb these things. Little boys, little girls, people of all races identify who they are and what their place is in the world, not just by what people say to them, by what, what they see around them and what the values are around them. And some of these things become um, very apparent once they've been pointed out to you. Um, for example, one that we're going to talk about is um, tongue, in tongue-in-cheek called man-spacing, which is the fact that men tend to take up more room when they're, whenever they're around than women do. It's a, it's a sign of dominance, a sign of power. And as a matter of fact, if you go to your work, you'll find, and just pay attention, the most powerful person in the room generally will take up more room. They'll put more stuff on the table. They'll have a bigger desk. They'll have a bigger chair. <laughs> they'll have bigger space. Um, and, and a lot of companies will actually go and take a tape measure out and measure out cubies to make sure that the, the, the more dominant people have more space. And it becomes a subtle symbol all the time that we pick up on unconsciously when we walk into a room, when you walk into a room and there's a bunch of people sitting at the table, you can quickly determine who's in power. And, and it, it's often by subtle symbols like that. Things that, that, that's, that specify, um, status and rank and privilege and class and culture and all those things. They're, they're, they're very much around us. And two ones that are pernicious, especially in Mormonism, are race. Because Mormonism has a long history of racial problems. It's still there. Um, it's still there in the Book of Mormon that the, the Lamanites were made dark so that the delightsome white people would not be attracted to them. It is there right now today. It says that. Um, and white is, um, culturally all across the United States seen as more beautiful and, and, and seen as more powerful and, and, um, and it's, it's just, it's just presented all of the time. And it gets hard to break out of that 
Because what we tend to do is we tend to intellectually realize these things are going on before we realize how cultural they are and how pervasive they are in ads and all this stuff. And this, this comes up if you if you read magazines, um, you know, especially news magazines, you'll see all the time things like um, when Time magazine took O.J. Simpson and they made him darker. Um, when, after they, they 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 tinted his his skin tone darker. Um, and what, what was the, the, the movie, uh, Precious or something like that, where they took the, the actress who was also African American and they lightened her skin up. Um, and, and, and so, and so that attitude that, 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 that lighter is more beautiful, that, and that white is more powerful is, is, is very apparent. Now, what happens in this book, um, is th- there, there are little symbols also. Um, and, and, and you can poo-poo these things. But, for example, it is a universally accepted symbol. The glasses in our culture mean intelligence, right? I should put mine back on. Then you can take them <laughs> off. The... <laughs> That's why I never wear mine when I record. Glasses are a symbol of intelligence. And oftentimes when you see in, 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 in art, um, especially children's art, the little character they're trying to portray as being the brainy one is shown wearing glasses, um, and that, that, that you can, yeah, we could, you could probably in your own mind come up with ten examples, and if somebody who studies this stuff, they could probably give you a thousand. So our little hero is the only character wearing glasses here, and needless to say, he is a white boy. Um, and, and even there's a little um, Disney cartoon where they drive a spaceship around. I was gonna, I was gonna look it up. Uh, um, meet the Robinsons, or no, the well, that that's what it's 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 a children's show, um, but. The little white kid is in charge, and the little white kid—he's the one who pilots the ship—and he wears glasses too. It's it's a it's a it's a symbol of it's a symbol of power and authority. So the first piece of art we have, well, the the the, the first few pieces of art deal with him, deal with our boy. The first one we encounter in the middle has the four children, and and the white girl is square in the middle of of this of this painting. And then she is surrounded by three individuals. She's surrounded by an Asian-looking girl, who is who is drawn lower. So so the the white girl's eyes are here, square in the middle of the, of the page, and the Asian girl who is who is standing next to her is peering out from behind, like the ledge. The, the white girl is standing just straight. She's not gesturing. She's just right in the middle, and she's she's lit up. As a matter of fact, you can see shadow on the other kids' faces. That does not appear on her face. But I want to point out that the little Asian girl to her left is drawn a little bit behind and a little bit below her. So, so, so the, the, the white girl is more prominent. And the other two, in the top left, there is a Hispanic looking boy and he is drawn back and, and shaded and an African American looking girl and she is also drawn back. So obviously from this picture, the most important person in that picture, the picture, the whole picture is framed around the little white girl. But what's also pernicious in this, this picture is them gazing at the white boy. That, that, that's, that's what the picture is depicting. And they all have a sort of a raptured, sort of elated look. Their eyes are dilated. They are ready to go. These guys are excited to see little white boy. <laughs> now, once little white boy comes in, who's got the, who's, who's, who's got the glasses and the power, he is shown in every picture in power positions. He is shown spacing himself out. His arms are almost always extended. Now look in the, in the next picture, Jen. You'll see that the little Hispanic, the one you're looking at, the little Hispanic boy, again, is behind him and he's looking at them. They're all gazing at this, at this boy throughout this whole thing. 
Um, there is no, there's no club here. This is all about this white male. And, and he, and he, he's all closed up. They all got their hands in, but he's got his hands open. And, and what I think is fascinating is we have a power shift that, that, that you have, <laughs> I was going to say white power, but <laughs> it's something else these days. But you have a little white girl being displaced by a little white boy who comes in. But in all of these paintings, the brown people are always drawn to the edge of the, of the painting. And here's the one with the, the menu, the next one, Jen, with the white. You'll, you'll see that we're looking at the backs of the heads of the little brown kids, but the white kids are, are there present. But look, look at, look at the, look at the, um, she's actually, the little white girl's actually serving him. She's actually got a f-ing towel on her, on her forearm, like she's the maitre d', right? The, the, and, and he is like ordering with his hand up in the air, like he owns the place. He just came in like, like, like two minutes ago, right? He looks like the king. Yeah. The next picture, the little black girl is served again, offering this thing up. But look, look at that gaze on her face. Look at the the look at the the love and longing she has for little white boy. Um, and just, just again, the next pictures, he's all spread out. The, the, this this is my favorite. The the not even once. He looks like he's calling somebody safe at home. And he's literally like blocking the other kids out with his arms. He's stretched out as far as he can go and he's pushing all these guys aside. Look at little Hispanic boy on the left side. He's turned his back like he's been kicked out of the picture. He's got his back to us. He's been he's been completely displaced by by little white boy. And then the final the final picture is um um the others have become completely non existent in the story. They, they, they came in, they served their point and they, they've gone on and, and, um, they, they were just on the sideline. This stuff is pornography. <laughs> this is white jerk off material because it, it's just, it is all about whitey. But who's the audience, John? Who are Mormons? So they're not, if they're not selling this book in South America, then, then who is the audience? He's a good, he's a good illustrator. He's speaking to his audience. This is who, our nine and ten year olds are going to associate with in Utah on the, along the Wasatch fronts. I mean, they're they're white boys that are making this commitment. Not even once. So. I'll push back just a little bit. They did spare us from making him the tallest one, the most physically dominant. They didn't do that. All right, I'll give I'll give Matt. <laughs> but but male privilege is all over this book. Um, oh yeah. And, and, and which is a dominant theme in the church. Men run the church. And there we're excited when a, when a, when a smart little boy wants to come in and, and he immediately becomes the absolute center of attention. And, and that's, that's the way, that's the way art is, is designed. And somebody, you know, I, what I think the illustrators are saying, well, everybody has somebody they can identify. You know, if, if you're a Hispanic kid, you're, you're an Asian kid, but you, the person you're identifying with, I mean, literally, they're serving the, the white kid. Oh, I, I, I'll grant you that they're the token brown people there. I mean, I, I'll grant you that. But I, I do feel like the illustrator is just selling the message of the book. The, the, the primary character is, is, yeah, the enlightened one that's making the commitment. Um, you're drawn to that individual. He's obviously smart because he's got his glasses on. And so, and if the kids are going to relate to that kid, then they'll, they'll make the commitment as well. But, but I, I 
we're going to push back on the male privilege just a bit. I just think the main character oh, is a not. boy. I, I'm going to second you on that. I mean, absolutely. Every single image we went through there, he was the dominant figure. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's it, the it was, main character of the book. And I, and I, you know, I might not have noticed it at first. I mean, maybe that's just because everything's like that. Oh, this is completely normal. Yeah. But when, when we look at it from that perspective, I can see in every, every position that's what's been happening. That's just the way we accept things to be. Right. Which is why when, when they do polls in the church, they did one a couple of years ago asking women if they wanted the priesthood or whatever. Most oh, of no. them said no. <laughs> no, um, no. Because, because no, well, no, why, you, we, we're not. That's not for us. You know, because they've absorbed stuff like this over and over again the, the, through the years. Um, I'm sure Brandon, um, the illustrator, did this completely unwittingly. I don't. I don't think he's like a secret member of the KKK or something. <laughs> he's just projecting himself. And and you know, there there. Uh, um, <clears throat> it was pointed out to me about um, myself the way I was sitting on the subway. Um, I was sitting on the subway with male, male privilege, and I, I sense found a website and has pictures of men all over it, just taking up space. Taking up space, and because it's it's a sign of privilege, it's a sign of consumption, it's a sign of hey, I'm in charge. I get to take my piece out of the middle, and 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 I I, I think it's dangerous. I think we need to be careful about the sort of things we 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 teach our children, and we need to be careful about how we present these these things. We think we're throwing this book would be less racist if they were all white, in my mind. Well, yeah. But but your your point that you just made about we need to be careful about how we teach our children this, there are two entire layers here. I mean, there's the first part we talked about. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that we teach our children, yeah, you have to be perfect. You know, let's not think about what happens if you make a mistake because you're going to, but, you know, let's not go there. That's a huge problem for what, you know, how we teach our children, what their expectations are and the pain they're going to encounter when that happens. But then there's this whole other level, you know, uh, are we better than everybody else because we're white or because we're men? You know, I have mostly daughters. I care a lot about that. Right. I, I, I think it's important to look at assumptions. Like when, when you study Mormon theology or whatever, especially if you study it over a long period of time, what's most fascinating is not what's written in the book. It's what's assumed all the time. What everybody is just uh, assuming is going on here. And, and that's what's fascinating about this book because – there's this, there's this stated thing, and whatever they're say, stating, there's obviously some confusion about it because they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't state it otherwise. But these things that just sort of play out here are, are, are the kids are going to absorb those things, and we have to be very cautious of it. And, and I'm just saying that this sort of stuff is everywhere, and it's everywhere in the church. And so many people, um, you know, where where I've seen what. A, where a lot of men come out of the church, uh, particularly, and they say, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see the patriarchy. I don't see the dominance. Um, and I'm pointing it out. I'm taking one little piece and saying, here it is. It's the, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the fa- fact that the, the priesthood leaders sit on the stand, but the relief society leaders do not. Those sort of things. And, and you can multiply those by a hundred different instances of, of the same sort of thing. Um, and that's how people absorb this, and that's where it comes from. But, well, I'm, I'll disagree. That's, that's where it comes from. I think the organizational structure of the Mormon church, um, you, you've hit the nail on the head, yet male posturing is not a result of 
Mormonism. Male posturing is is a result of sex differences and the fact that we're a sexual species and we actually have some sexual dimorphism. I mean, males posture, not just not just human males. But some of that's culture. I don't think you're arguing that all of that's biological. Like, if- I'm not arguing all of it's biological, but it's absolutely biological. And to deny that and to not teach your kids that is also ridiculous. Just as bad as teaching them that. They should be modest. Well, I, I think I think you're right that we need to be aware of it, but but I don't think that's an excuse, you know, to say okay, well, men are more likely to rape because they have testosterone. Well, probably, yeah, but that, that doesn't that's not a, a valid defense in court. Right? It's, it's not a defense. I'm just saying it's a reality that that males do posture, males take ah, up and that, space, and that's my point. It's a reality and one that we need to be aware of. So little girls are are trained to sit daintily, right? Matter of fact, if you go look at the eight year, you go, you go to the eight year olds, the boys and the girls are, are probably, or the seven year olds, the six year olds, the young ones are probably sitting the same. And then they're told, sit like a lady. Don't take up so much space. Don't, you know, like the, the g- girls at 12 start chanting their chant about modesty and, and stuff. And the, the boys aren't doing that. Um, so, so I think there's these things that we absorb. I, I think you're right. Whenever you look at, at these sort of elements, there's, 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 they don't come just out of whole cloth. They, they, they come from something. But that's all the more reason that we need to be aware of them and teach them and, and be cognizant of them. Agreed. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you agreed with me. So <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, just to add on just a little bit to that. Uh, today in church, I had uh, a woman stood up in sacrament. It's a phrase I don't hear very often. Go on. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's sacrament. Or it was uh, Fast Sunday today. Yeah. Uh, because of conference, and the, this woman got up and talked about how I don't feel like I'm less than my husband, and I feel like you know I you know we're equal, we're different, and she went on for a while talking about you know how I don't ever feel subservient, and I'm like oh man, you know, and, and then somebody else I think got up and said the same thing, uh, a male did, and I'm thinking wow, they feel like they're selling themselves in, on this idea, and they're trying to train everybody. Oh, was that well, lots of things that they were they were saying? I was like oh man, the brainwash is killing me in here but uh you know so in our society in 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 the uh, the common society i think of the word but um we have not very many ceos that are women but we have them you know how many how many women do we have sitting on the stand none you know in the church so yeah men do you know in, in every society men tend to take up more space and and are more dominant but i think um in our in in our general culture, we're trying to to move away from that and to to make things more equal. And it is it is getting better. It's getting better. But in the church, we're saying, "Oh no, we're 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 different, you know, but we're equal." And I'm not buying it. Well, what what I want is people to start becoming aware of this. Yeah. Because that, that's that's the first step. That's the start. Is, is to is to realize these these subtle things that are around us all the time and start tuning into them. And because then we can start pointing them out to the next generation, so that so they don't they don't fall into the same trap. Um, because we are all full of biases and prejudices and and self serving attitudes. I mean that that that's absolutely clear. But um, but the problem that religion comes because uh, Jen, you pointed out that a lot of this is American, and I think absolutely. And one of the things that Amer- that Mormonism did, especially post World War One, post World War Two, is they took American jingoism and turned it into a religious fetish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and especially you look at some of the teachings from Benson and McKay and some of those guys. It was really just like, um, you know, McCarthyism on on a, a religious um, 
um, mushroom trip. And, and so, so what, what, <laughs> what, what happens is we take that elements from American culture, that Betty Crocker view, and we turned it into this like celestial, um, organization for the way things are supposed to be. And that's being deconstructed. We're 30 years behind. Like, you know, um, the feminism of the sixties sort of deconstructed that. Not that America still doesn't have a long ways to go, but, but, Mormonism is, is still back in the sixties and seventies when it comes to, um, gender relations. And, and, and here it is, 2013, right here in the book. And, and, th- and that's, that's, that's the point I want to make. Agreed. <laughs> I see it. You told me. So the Not Even Once Club, uh, available now at your local desert book for a limited time. Um, yeah. Um, good job. Um, Dr. Nielsen, um, I, 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 I actually, I don't, if you look, read the text, because after I learned through the pictures, the, the, other than her picking a, um, her picking a male as the lead, which I think is telling also. And I just, I just read it. I just read an article. Um, I don't remember where in salon or something just a week or two ago. It was talking about that when uh, they were doing an analysis of when authors pick the lead of their novel or story. Um, when it's the opposite gender and what that means and, and how well they do it and that sort of stuff, you know? Um, so I, I don't think a lot of this, I think, I think a lot of this is just coming out of, of Brandon's drawing guys the way he thinks guys are and he's spot on. But the, the element about the gay, the, the gaze really gets me. I know I keep saying it, but just you gotta look at the way the little kids are looking at him. I've never seen anybody but teenagers look at the teenage girls look at Justin Bieber that way, but most human beings do not look at <laughs> each other that way unless they're, you know, like um, about to get it on. So um, there you go. The Not Even Once Club. Um, check it out. Well, as always, uh, what do I say here? Oh, yeah. As always, the discussion continues on the website, but it really doesn't anymore. So everybody's gone over to Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so there is no discussion you, you on can, the website. No, you can still post comments uh, out there, and, and and the website's out there, and they're they're all there. And um, um, if anything's going on, um, we try to, we try to make it clear. There is still a Facebook group um, for people who want to know what's going on. If people want to come to Studio One A, what what do, you, what do you think? Is the insulation like modern chic? And, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people always thought it was in the basement. Now it really is. And no one's, no one has commented at all that I have a skull. I have a human skull on the table. I thought it was decorative. It's seasonal, right? <laughs> it, it just felt like it belonged. I thought it was a Halloween thing. <laughs> it, it, well, I was cleaning up, and there was some Halloween decorations. It's one of those things that males do to posture and show oh, their intelligence. They, they put skulls on their desks. It is that. That is a rather. You do not see. That's pretty Women stereotypical. That. No. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank, thank you for pointing out my. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm. I'm full of it. I I realize that I I do this stuff all the time, and um, but I'm, but I'm 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 trying. Um, all right, so um, uh, yeah, uh, check us out at mormonexpression.com and stay tuned for another episode coming soon. Hopefully, sooner than it took to get this one. To uh, to all y'all, uh, good night. Good night. Oh.